Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. Today we'll be talking about bully coaches and what they can do to the psyche of a high school player, no matter how talented that player is. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and the Green Light. You can also check out our NBA-focused podcasts, including Knuck If You Buck, Cavalier Central, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Coach Denny English. Denny has been coaching for 20 years. He's been an assistant coach in Division II for the National Junior College Athletic Association. He was the head coach at Lawrence School in Sagamore Hills, Ohio, where he led his team to its first ever playoff appearance and first ever playoff win and held the record for coaching victories. He was a varsity assistant at Lutheran West High School, a varsity assistant and JV coach at Brooklyn High School. He's been the varsity assistant at North Olmsted High School for the past three seasons. And he's here today, not only to talk about building a good team culture in your program, but also about building team culture in AAU. That's because Coach English has coached and directed recruiting for AAU teams in Wisconsin, Texas, Georgia, and Ohio at the Ohio high school level. Coach English, thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Coach, you already hold the record for longest intro, so you got that going for you. (laughs) And Coach, I'm glad Coach English reached out to me at Courtside Culture Podcast at Gmail, and I'm so glad he did it. You can reach us there too. That's the show's email. And I think this is a great topic to discuss, Coach, because there are a lot of coaches, especially younger ones, who will coach AAU in the spring, summer, and fall. So, Coach, my first question for you is, do you approach building a team culture in AAU differently than if you were trying to improve team culture for a program? Building a culture in AAU can be difficult individually. Uh, Typically, when you become a coach within a program, there's a director that runs that program, and they will reach out to find coaches to coach teams 
or they will bring on teams that already have coaches into their program. So the hope is that there is a good culture in that program starting at the top with that director. Um, that director will then seek out coaches who have like mind, like minds with, with culture and what they see as their program going forward. Um, they should be trying to surround themselves with, with the right people, with good people, because ultimately your culture is only as good as the person who's creating it. So um, young coaches should look at programs before they join programs, study them, find out who's actually running them. Um, but it's once you get in, you can certainly use your own tools, uh, experience, uh, reach out to mentors to you know, build a unique culture within that team. So do you see, is the, are there characteristics that are, are the same though amongst AAU programs, even in distance, uh, different states? Do you still see some similar characteristics when it comes to, to culture and, and team building? I think it, it certainly varies uh, from region to region, state to state. Um, you know, in Ohio, you know, we don't have a lot of AAU programs, at least in Northeast Ohio and statewide, who are consistently playing tournaments virtually year round. In California and Texas uh, and East Coast teams, you know, there's a family mentality. There's a bond there that we're spending virtually all our time, you know, with our AAU family. So that type of culture of togetherness, uh, you know, that bond that's created lasts year round and then for multiple years if these kids stay with those programs. So I think it's it's a little different in that aspect to where if you play, you know, two or three sessions a season, you can build bonds. But, you know, those kids, you don't have them all year. You only have them for roughly three, three and a half months, and then they move on to their other coaches. So I think it's it's easier when we're playing basketball only. Our kids are with us 10 months out of the year. Certainly, you can really develop great bonds with the families, with the kids. Um, so it's a little diff- more difficult when you only have them for a couple sessions a year. When you got that first AAU job, were you even thinking along the lines of team culture when you took over that team? Kind of walk me through it. What What was it like when you first started coaching AAU? Um, it was interesting. It was a different, it was a different version of AU that I was used to. Um, the caliber of player was completely different. The focus was very singular. If these kids come play with us, you know, we're going to do everything we can, whether it's within the bounds or out of the bounds to get them off to college. The route that we take to, to get the kids into the programs was certainly unique way back in the day. Um, but once we got them and we worked and worked and we recruited and we worked with universities, so we would get kids to where they wanted to go. It was just a different animal of how we would get the kids into the program. And so did 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 team culture ever come into the conversation or was this more like a factory where you were you know you were taking you were taking kind of like a blank widget and stamping it out and sending it on its way and that and that was really about it well I th- initially in my first experience with it it was it was some very similar to that but what we start you know what i saw as as AU continued to develop and and it was more 
it was more player driven to where players were making these decisions and not handlers or their high school coaches were telling them, you need to go here. Or you won't get anywhere. The families ultimately started to get a little more involved. So the view of the behavior of the coach, what was going on, how they were utilizing players outside of the AU program for the, their own benefit benefit, and not looking at, you know, how they're helping the player. When that started to change, then culture became huge and trust. And what are you doing for my kid? It, it began to turn to, I need my kid to be developed and not just great when he's there and he's going to be great no matter what. I want him to enjoy it. We know he's good. We can make him better. And that's your job. It's not just he's great. He's going to be with you. Let's travel the country and then send him off to college. Do you feel like, you know, and looking back on that, was I'll just ask you, I mean, is that the right approach where maybe, you know, isn't this, shouldn't this be like an all encompassing development, not just what's going on on the floor, but also kind of the, the, you know, those things that happen off the court, you know, you know, turning these boys into men. And, and part of that, of course, is, you know, team culture and acting appropriately with your, with your coaches and your, and your teammates and things. Do you think that was the wrong approach when you look back on it? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly I thought it was not the correct approach, you know, and when you're getting started and you're, you just, you're kind of trying to make a name for yourself in, in, in that type of arena, you're, you just want to, you want to get the job done. You want to work with the players and we want to see success, but, you know, ultimately as coaches, as you become, you know, you become older, you become wiser, you know, we should be building leaders, you know, we should be preparing them, not just to be basketball players or athletes, you know, between the lines, but leaders off the court, off the field, you know, we should be inspiring them to help other people. We should be inspiring them to be better athletes and better people so they can share that experience with others. You know, ultimately that's, that's what should be happening. That's, you know, there's such a small percentage of players who even play AAU that, that go D1, D2, you know, JUCO, NAIA, you know, all of that. So it's such a small percentage. So you should be impacting as much as possible to help all the kids, best players, middling players, maybe the last guy on the bench. They should be receiving the same, you know, culture conversations, the same leadership conversations. So they can take that wisdom and pass it on as they, you know, grow as a player, grow as a man, grow as a woman and things like that. Do you think that it's it's evolved over the years to where you see a little bit more of that in AAU now? <laughs> uh, again, it varies from program to program. It's, it really does. Um, there are really good programs, and you know they last. They they've been around a long time. Um, are they doing right by every single player? It's hard to say. You know, you can go on all these websites for all these programs and they're going to post pictures of kids who played with them for one session or maybe one year because they went to college, but they played with them for a little bit. You know, they're utilizing that player to make their image look great. Well, was the player great when he got there and you made him better? Uh, or is he just great? And now he's off and you're, you're reaping the benefits of that one session or one year. Did you make him a better person? You know, did he learn things that he can take and carry with him in life? So I think some do that. I can't speak to 
all of them, but there are good ones out there. How do you, if you're an individual, you know, if you're a coach going to a program, how can you put your individual stamp of culture on your team? Well, I think you learn from places you've been. And then you should, as a coach, have an idea of what type of culture you want and what type of culture is conducive to learning, you know, getting that buy-in, building trust, and ultimately getting players to believe that they can do great things. You should be inspiring. You know, you should be looking at that immediately and having that in your head and, and kind of that nugget should be there waiting until you get that job. And then you can implement these things little bits at a time. You can't just throw it all at them at once because in all honesty, if you've got 10 kids in your roster, they're coming from 10 different cultures probably. So you're trying to take all 10 and mesh it into a working culture that the players believe in you. They believe in what you're telling them is going to make them successful. They trust the drills you know, you have their back. You're going to get them to where they want to go from recruiting aspect, you know, and the, and the program's going to take care of them. So you should be building that in your head as you move through the coaching ranks. And when you get that AU job or that high school job, you have a good idea of what kind of program you would want to play in or what coach would you like to play for. And part of that is coaches you've had in the past, you know, AU programs you may have played for, some mentors you've had, you have or had. So that's how I think you build it individually. So, I mean, we're, we're probably talking what, uh, the course of maybe nine or 10 weeks, you, you have these kids, right? You, maybe you get them a two or three weeks before the first tournament. You've got them, you know, for maybe five or six tournaments. And then even still, it's, I, it, I mean, in most cases, I don't think you're practicing every day, you know, maybe, maybe two or three times. If you were going to, to explain it to a young coach, I mean, do you do you start right away at that first practice with trying to implement some of that culture? And if you do, what, in your opinion, is one of the first things you would establish? Well, first off, if they don't already know, and hopefully they do, I mean, communication is vital to any type of success, whether it's AAU or high school. So, you know, you're going to get things from the – program. But when you have that first practice, you know, you can level set your team and say, you know, these are my expectations. Um, You know, we have to communicate with each other. We're all coming from different directions here. You know, we're going to run, do this offense. We're going to do this defense. This is what I expect. um, And this is what I hope happens. But if we all don't work together and communicate, it could go completely wrong. And then let those players know, you know, this is their team. You know, you're not the AU coach trying to get that next AU job. You're the AU coach trying to get those kids to where they want to go and get them better. So um, they need to understand this is it can go how they want it to go. But, you know, easily kind of setting some standards in that first practice. And then the vernacular has to stay the same. So you can build culture and, you know, enforce your standards, so to speak, how you talk to your players, how you communicate to your players and making good culture, you know, making good communication part of the constant talk with your team, whether it's in a drill or it's before practice or after a water break, you know, it should, if you're going to have it done a certain way, then speak to it that way and be consistent and trust your players that they will make mistakes, 
and tell them you will believe in them and you will always have their back. Mistakes will happen. I trust you. Go out there and make plays. That's what we're here to do. No one came to watch me coach. They all came to watch you play. Do you, do you think that as an AAU coach, and because you said it best, I mean, you know, you have, you have, if you have 10 kids, they may be from 10 different programs, 10 different backgrounds, 10 different cities, you know, and, and all those differences coming together. Do you think, do you have the time to implement like some of the off the court things that I hear coaches talk about that help? build their culture, like whether it's a team dinner or something like that, or a bowling night or anything like that. I mean, would you recommend that? Do you think that could happen? Have you seen it happen? The off the court stuff? Um, I've seen off the court stuff where these family, I mean, kids stay in one or two houses. You know, I've seen it where a family or two will just take care of the whole team. I've also seen it where kids go their separate ways and you just, you know, they just will see at the next practice. We'll see at the next game. You know, I think it's important whether it's AAU or high school or middle school or whatnot, you know, getting the parents involved in the conversation as well, because for as, as much as you want to try to take those 10 guys from 10 different areas and try to get them to play or believe in each other the way you believe in them or, you know, inspire them to work hard to get better, whatever you say on that court or during the game or and practice can go completely sideways <laughs> when they go home if the parents don't understand what's going on as well. So I would always try to get the parents involved, you know, get them on the emails. You know, if a playbook is sent out, they know the playbook is sent out, you know, keeping them informed. You know, they're a big part of AAU, you know, depending on what age you play, they can't drive. So you're very dependent upon them and they have an idea where their kid want, should go or maybe shouldn't go. They may have, you know, expectations higher than what maybe the kid has. So if they're part of your talk and your speech and your view of what you see for the team, you can help those conversations you have on the court work well off the court. And then once you build that relationship, you can start, let's have a team breakfast before or after our, you know, before our first game. You know, we have, you know, we finish our day today. Let's all go out to have dinner before the next day. You know, um, we don't play for a weekend. Let's all get together and do something. You know, it's there's many ways to do it. I think the more and more involvement, the better. Uh, I believe parents are very, very, very more important than some people think um, because they can make or break success in more ways than they know. Is that something do you, would you recommend even throwing out in that first practice to parents or maybe even in a separate email to the parents where, where they don't even involve the kids right away, asking them or letting them know to say, hey, look, very open to, you know, doing some off the court things, whether it's a dinner at somebody's house or, you know, organizing, you know, a little team bowling night because, you know, yeah, we're only together, you know, for a short time, but I still think it's important that we do these sorts of things and, and the kids get the chance to build that team culture and learn from it. Would you recommend that? I mean, I would certainly recommend that. And if I was directing a program, I would definitely recommend that because then that sense, that bond, that sense of caring, that sense of family keeps kids in your program. You know, just like in college, you want to keep kids in your program in AAU 
there's so many AAU programs. You want to do all you can to keep those kids in your program, keep those families. It's not just the kid. Keep the families in the program. A lot of these families have multiple kids, you know, get the siblings involved. So, yeah, I mean, I have no problem and I've done it many times before just talking to the parents. I think it's a big thing to let them be at practice. I think it's an it's an eye opener for sure, but it gives them a better understanding of what's trying to be accomplished. Come to practice. I don't sit there. Watch it. Enjoy it. If you don't want to, fine. But if you have a question, ask it. I tell players the same thing. You know, there are certain things, you know, in high school programs, you kind of tell parents, this is what we can and cannot talk about and, and everything like that. You know, and AAU is very similar. I'd like to have them involved, you know, following the 24-hour rule. Some of these AAU events can get really, really crazy. Um, but, yeah, I think getting the parents involved immediately is good. I think it helps share your message. Uh, the more message gets to more people, the better. So certainly it will help the program. It will help the team. I don't know how it could hurt. I think too, you know, just being, okay. Yeah. So when you, when you're a parent in the stands and if you were, if you're getting everybody together like that, I think that eliminates some of that, you know, kind of that competitiveness parents can get into about, you know, Oh my, you know, he's not playing as much as this, you know, as he is, or he's, you know, why didn't he go in this time? You know, I think that might help eliminate some of that too, because everybody's together. Everybody's on the same page. And I got to tell you, I, some, some of my best parent friends I have, I made from, you know, AAU and sitting there at, you know, whether it was at practices or games and things like that, you know, and you kind of forget about all that other stuff, you know, when, when everything falls into place. I mean, do you, do you agree with that? Do you think you get that sense of camaraderie among the parents as well when when you do these types of things oh absolutely you know it's it's not always about the one thing which the one big question who can do the scoreboard or who can do the scoring there's more to it than that so yeah i mean that's huge every everyone plays aau for for a reason you know why did they play you know what's the agenda for each player you know you're bringing in different egos you know you're trying to mesh so many different things so getting a good group of parents is just, it can make things so much easier, but it's like, it, it feels like a family then, you know, you know, who's going to be there, you know, they will understand what the coach is trying to do. Um, you, you miss out on all the negativity, which is, which is key. One of the other unique opportunities I think with AAU is you get to travel. I mean, you're the high school team, you know, you have bus rides and things, maybe longer bus rides, and things, but usually, you know, it's there and back. You have these overnight trips with AAU, and I think they present a great opportunity for, for team building activities. In your experience, I mean, would you agree with that? Do, do you see great opportunities on the road for team building in AAU? Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime... The, one of the greatest parts of sports outside of building relationships and friendships that could last forever and is is seeing new places and the ability to, to be exposed to different culture and different demographics. And I think that is such a huge thing in, in all sports. And one of the funnest things, things you may, if you didn't play, maybe you would not ever see. Um, so for me, it was always, you know, if we're going to go to a, a different city, you know, we take a look at our schedule. We are definitely incorporating one to two things that we're doing outside off the court together 
to expose kids to something new, something fun, and just take your take the mind off of basketball. Of course, they're going to talk about it, and parents off to the side will also talk about it. But it's vital to go out and have fun, enjoy yourself. You know, it can feel so much like a job sometimes. If you're a highly recruited player, you've you've put the work in, and sometimes even those players like to just take take a break and just have some fun. So there is usually not a long trip that doesn't incorporate for me some sort of we're going to have multiple fun days, depending on the length, of course. Um, but we're going to have fun. It's not just going out to eat. You know, we're going to do some sort of a team building exercise that is fun for everybody. That's bigger than bowling. Let's get on some zip lines. You know, let's find some tourist thing in the area that we can all do together. And that's just building that bond and that trust and that, that love, that family feeling, you know, and it tends to lead to better basketball play as well. I'll tell you what, usually it's it's those types of things that create the best memories and the most vivid memories. You know, when I, when I was coaching uh, AAU a while back, we went, on a, we went on a trip and the big talk, we all went to dinner and the big talk with all the kids wanted to go swimming. When we got back to the hotel, that's all they wanted to do. Well, we well, we get back to the hotel, and the pool is closed. But one one of the parents of uh, the there were, there was one of the rooms the parents had were were given. I mean, it wasn't requested. Had a hot tub in the room, and it was it wasn't like you know in the bathtub hot tub. It was like separated, like it, it was like the honeymoon suite or something they gave them. You know, it was like this big hot tub. So. One of the kids comes comes up to the room and sees it, and then he puts out the all points bulletin to the rest of the team. There's a hot tub up here, and all ten of them end up in the room. Word of mouth, they're running. Every time one came in, they ran and told the other one, and they all come. They they keep coming back one by one, and one by one, stuffing themselves in the hot tub until the entire team was in the hot tub. And we got a picture of that. And I got to tell you, Denny. I, don't, I could barely remember what city we were in. I couldn't even tell you who we played. I can't tell you how many games we won or lost by how much, how many. But I remember all of those knuckleheads cramming themselves in that hot tub. Yeah, I mean, those are memories that you'll have for the rest of your life. And, then, you know, that's the beauty of sport uh, that you helps provide those memories. But you're right. I, you know, as, as you talk culture there's so many things off the court that can negatively impact culture, but there are also so many things off the court that can positively impact it. And something like that, just away from the court, doing it together can have, you know, a lasting memory. So let's talk about now transferring the off the court uh, stuff onto the court when it comes to team culture. And you talked about communication. That's a big one. What are some of the other things, even at, whether it's, you know, for your, your program overall, you know, or even because to me, I don't know, Danny, I think a lot of this stuff, I, I think, I think it can transfer, especially the, the, you know, the on the court stuff, I think is transferable. If I'm wrong, let me know. But, but how, like, how do you go about, like, you know, when you're building a program or, you know, you, you know, you've been a lot, you've been among, a, you know, a number of different programs, high school level, college, what, what to you are the most important parts about building a team culture in basketball? Well, for me, I think that it needs to be built on trust and belief. Uh, I, you know, trust plus belief to me equals confidence. 
Um, and once kids start to play with confidence, I think that they can do so many things that they may not have thought they'd be able to do. You know, have, and the trust that the coach has in the player and the player understanding that the coach trusts them, that level of belief allows players to play free. You know, the game can be difficult. It really can. It's not easy. If their mind is going a million miles a minute because they're worried about whether or not if they make a mistake, they're coming out. I missed my last shot. Oh, my gosh, I just double dribbled. You know, for me, it's kids need to play free. And it's not just free go 100 miles an hour. It's free of worry. You know, it's free of concern. Focusing on what their role is instead of focusing things that takes away from what their role could be. You know, so trust and belief, freedom to, to play, you know, build starts to build togetherness. You know, and ultimately, when you have that, we have, you know, eight or 10 guys all, you know, in that same mode, you know, and then you start having self-accountability. And that's a beautiful thing when players start working and holding each other accountable. You know, player coach teams are almost, you know, more successful than coach coach teams. You know, the, the kids take over and in a good way and, and hold each other accountable. So for me, ultimately, you know, I want kids to play free. I want them to trust me that I have their back. I want them to believe that when they, they're on the court, that everything is going to be fine. Don't worry about making mistakes and enjoy it. Okay. Will they make mistakes and, and will they hear about it? Yeah. In a good way. You know, not, it's not nobody's job to, to belittle people. Mistakes are made. We learn from them. Have a seat. Think about it. Get back out there. Let's have fun. All right. But when kids are playing on pins and needles, it's just really tough to be successful. So, and that type of culture to me is fun. You know, talking about that day in and day out is fun. And when kids hear it and they see it and they see kids successful by it, everyone wants to be a part of it. It's what one of the great things about doing this podcast is and getting to talk to you know, all of these different coaches from, from, different backgrounds, you know, some are coaching boys, some are coaching girls, you know, some are coaching college, some are coaching high school, you know, uh, even psychologists and things that I've talked to already, you know, they're not even coaching at all, but it, it always comes back. And you mentioned this earlier, you know, the communication. And what the other thing that I love to hear is how, when, when it is positive communication, how the coach gets it across. Every coach has their own style. So for you, when it comes to communication, what it what is it that that what would you define good communication as being? Well, good communication, positive reinforcement is always in my mind good communication. Um, good communication should inspire some type of thought. Um, open-ended questions. I utilize open-ended questions in practice all the time. Because you really got to find out, get in the mind of that kid, you know, get in the mind and understand where, where they're at. I mean, there's so much going on with these kids these days, you know, and they're being bombarded with electronics and, and every device and, you know, find out where they're at. Ask these kids active, open-ended communication, questions that get them to think and answer the question. If they make a mistake, they may not know why. All right, me yelling at them, you know, pass the reverse the ball. Maybe they don't understand why they should reverse. I'm open. Why should I reverse the ball? Well, the question, my question is, why didn't you? And the kid says, well, 
I didn't know I was supposed to. I thought if I had a shot, I should take it. Well, actively communicating that to the player, now he understands. If you just yell at him, he doesn't know why or her. They don't know why they made the mistake. You know, didn't screen the right guy. You know, calling out a kid doesn't fix the problem. Asking the right questions, communicating. You have to understand who's getting your message. Some, some kids just do not take verbal cues well. So some are visual learners. So you have to be able to take the, your vision and what the play should be and let them see it and translate that in practice and on the court. You may have to use both. But active, you know, you know, belief communication, you know, talking to kids like you believe what they're doing is right and we're all working together is great. But get these kids to think about the mistake and how they can change it without yelling at them. You know, you mentioned positive reinforcement. And another thing that we talk a lot about on this podcast is positive psychology, which in essence is you're, you're essentially, you know, you're building up the strengths in your players and, and, and not necessarily, you know, uh, beating the, the, the bad things over their head all the time, right? You're, 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 you're sticking, you're focusing on, on their strengths in order to, to kind of, to insulate those weaknesses and make, you know, the, the entire team better. I, I, I think AAU would present, I mean, it's challenging. You already, you already mentioned it with all the different backgrounds and things, but I think this presents a good chance for coaches to do that because you know after a practice or two you're going to look at this and say man he's a good shooter man he can he can get to the rack you know man he is such a good rebounder it's like you know the shot goes up he gets the rebound every time like when you recognize this stuff is it important for an AAU coach and I'll I mean I'll ask you too even for 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 every high school coach to to recognize these things and to really reinforce what the kids are doing really well well, I think if you're just focusing on your own sets and your own play and your own mind, you're going to lose sight of what kids are capable of. You know, is the reward that, you know, we got a basket out of that play or out of that set? Well, yeah, that's part of it. You know, but did a kid actively dribble correctly? Did he locate his teammate the right way? And if you identify your player's skills correctly, you should be doing things to, to get them where they need to be on the court to be successful. Um, if you got a good shooter or you got a guy who can drive well, maybe it's a, a middling, you know, mid, not really a great shooter. Why are you playing him on the perimeter constantly and expecting him to hit threes? You know, let him use his strengths, use his strength to get to the other guy who's the shooter. So understanding, you know, understanding your players, communicating expectations, understanding their game. You understand their game. You know, you should be putting players in the position to be successful every time that you step on the court with your team. It's not about your success with your set. It's the success of the player within the function of the play. Well, and in essence, doesn't that make your job easier in the long run? Ultimately, if, you know, if you have insight on what your players are good at, I mean, part of this is knowing the player, you know, you'll know who you get on your roster, you know, do a little homework, watch a little tape. You know, find out what this kid is good at. I think all coaches should utilize huddle, you know, reach out to the head coach of their high school team and just have a short conversation with them. You know, start a plan for each one of these guys. You may have them for a short period of time, but we should start seeing incremental growth each year if they stay with the program. 
you know, and working together, not just with mom and dad, but also with the other coaches and, and getting a clear understanding of the strengths and weaknesses of your players, you're right, should make your job easier. Um, but that takes a little bit of work. I mean, that takes some time. You know, you made a good point there. Look, and I never even thought about that. Looking, you know, looking at video because, you know, coach, there may be something that you see that is a strength that maybe that player is not using enough. And, and, and maybe you have that conversation, you know, with his high school coach or her high school coach and say, you know, Hey, I notice you know, usually pretty good, you know, off the dribble, you know, getting to the hole, but I don't see it a lot. <laughs> you know, I was watching the, like, is there a reason, you know, and who knows, you may be able to open up a whole nother part of their game that they didn't realize was a strength. Well, I, that brings in roles into the conversation. You know, what is that player's role with his team? Does he have to have the same role with your team? Um, and this is, comes into development. You know, you should have an idea when you get them, hopefully, of their strengths and weaknesses. And if their role, maybe they have a, a few strengths that maybe aren't standing out, but they're there. Maybe they're not asked to do that during the high school season. You know, maybe you have a big who really has a good mid-range game who's setting a lot of screens for his team with maybe a bunch of seniors, underclassmen you don't know for sure. Maybe that's just his role. So AAU, in all honesty, should is there to expand your game. You know, find your limitations against good competition so you can identify what you need to work on. That's also part of the coach's job. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, if why you play AAU if you go into the season one way and come out exactly the same. There should be a level of development. Like I was really weak with my left against good. I couldn't make a good left hand attack against really in my face defense. Well, I need to get outside my comfort zone. Coaches allowing me to do that because he's okay with me making mistakes. But now I'm going to be better in my season because I'm stronger with my left hand against defense. So, you know, it's, it's a two way street. No, and that's, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the other things you, you get me thinking about is just how, you know, and I'm going to ask you like, how different is AAU today than it was, you know, maybe even when, when you first started in AAU, because I think people think, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think people think, well, my son's got to play AAU because that's how he's going to get to college. But I, I don't know if it's really like that anymore. What Talk to me how you think AAU was developed from when you first started to what it is today. Well, I mean, it was a lot, a lot different a long time ago. And, and being exposed in different parts of the country, it's, I will say there's, it's different than it was before. That's for sure. Um, I think kids play AAU for different reasons now. And I think what happened was you you had back in the day, you know, people were making money off these kids to get them to where they needed to go. And they were getting money from different different people and different institutions. And I'm not going to speak to any for, you know, but it was happening. So and now it's there is this thought and. I think there's a view of AAU like, if I don't play, I can't get anywhere. And also, like AAU is just like, everyone need, everyone can play it. 
And I've always viewed it as elite talent playing against elite talent. If you're not elite talent, well, then we'll stick with us and we'll make you as elite as we possibly can stick with our program. We have, we are skill-based, we have access to facilities. We can get you on a program, you know, this and that. Um, it's changed. There's a lot of kids that play it now. It wasn't a lot that played it back in the day. And the costs have certainly affected how that happens. Um, but is, I would say that there is a very large saturation of AU programs in the country. There are so many. And they never used to be like that. And there was just maybe five or six big dogs and that was it, you know, and there wasn't exposure to so many locations to have large tournaments either. Uh, I think that's changed a lot. The venues have become much nicer and much larger, and there's more of them scattered across the country. Um, I just, I just think that there's also other ways to develop without AAU, but if you want to be exposed to talent and engage yourself in where you stand with your game versus what you think is going to be the better talent in your area, then you should play. Um, but I don't know that you need to play and go in there and struggle. That can be demoralizing. So to, to me, it, it almost like, you know, people back in the day would think AAU is the process. You have to go to AAU because you're going to go to these tournaments and all these coaches are going to be there and you're going to, you're going to go to a college, you well, know, that was, yeah, that was the thought. If you don't play AAU, you may not get to college. And I think scouting and recruiting and, and technology has made it so much easier for coaches to find talent. You know, talent will travel. It will. And coaches will find you. And, and you back in the day that that was not there. You had to you had to get exposure through AAU to have a chance. And you mentioned it. So, so now to me, you know, AAU is not the process, but it is part of the process. It's an avenue. Yes. And, and, you know, kids need to understand that, you know, and, and uh, it's so hard because, you know, you know, when, when, well, I would hope, you know, your son or daughter is, you know, probably if you want, if they, if he or she wants to play in college, you know, you know, if they're, you know, six, one and not very fast, they're probably going to play division three if they want to play college basketball. So in, in your mind, does it make sense for that kid to try to get on a team that's going to like, you know, all these Adidas tournaments and things like that? In my mind, probably not. What's your opinion on something like that? You know, the importance of the parents or maybe, you know, coaches recognizing the talent level of their team and finding appropriate tournaments that, like you said, won't demoralize them, but will make them better. Well, that to me, that brings into question the organization itself, because if you're having open and honest communication with mom and dad on where their player stands, you know, you that family may then go to someone else. So, you know, as much as I hate to say this, organizations will try to just get as many teams as possible. You know, so I want to get. 20 teams and I just want to get, I just want to get guys out there. You know, I'm not worried about exposure and maybe not going to showcases. I just want to get as many kids into my program for whatever reason, whether it's making money or for your own exposure, I don't know. And to me, just bringing in 200 kids and not really doing anything with it, except shipping out to tournaments once in a, you know, five tournaments doesn't really accomplish much. So 
I think there are a lot of players need to take an honest assessment of their skills and, and which doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm. And it should happen at the high school level in my mind, having that talk with your player so they know where they stand. So then when, when mom and dad make the decision to shell out five, 600 bucks for six tournaments, they know that their kids playing in a bracket that they can be successful. Well, and, and I think too, it, you know, it falls, I mean, it falls on the coach when you, when you're having those conversations, I, I think like, even if it is, you're, you're, you're talking division three, right? And you say like, here's the deal. I think you're good enough to play division three. Okay. All, all, now that the kid's got a mindset of, okay, coach thinks I can play in college. Then, you know, you start, you start, you know, figuring out those strengths again, building those strengths and building that confidence, right? All part of the team culture, everything we've been talking about, but the kid, the kid is buying in to play in division three. And then like what you say, coach, all of a sudden they're playing with more confidence than they've ever played before. And then who knows down the road, you know, there may be some division two coach that wants to take, take a chance on them. But, but I, to me, I think there's a lot of benefit in setting, you know, I don't want to call it a boundary, but kind of, you know, setting that foundation for each player, you know, to, to stand on and then, you know, to build off of from there instead of starting at the top and saying, Oh, you're going to play division one. Oh, you keep doing what you're doing. You're going to play division one. I think you, 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 provide that realistic foundation and you build from there. What do you think? No, I mean, for me personally, you know, in AAU it's difficult because the kids that do for the most part, and especially at the high school level, the kids that show up have aspirations to do that. You know, if you're talking about high school, you know, for me, I have, I build portfolios for each player. Every player's got different views on themselves and what their future is in the sport and whatever sport they play. But, you know, my job is to get them to where they want to go. So I, you know, when I, as a head coach and assistant coach, if the head coach is all right with it, I would create portfolios because these players, if that's their dream, they have to start building their resume. And I think the first part of building your resume is knowing and understanding your game as it relates to how you see your future. So for me, build the portfolio. We start having honest skill conversations. We start, I don't like, I hate to use the word boundary because if I think a kid's a college player, I don't want to pigeonhole them into any division or any NAIA or any type of school. I'd like to see where, it can, where, it, where the sport can take them. So if, you, if the kid says, I want to play in college, well, not good. That's a good conversation to have. Let's see what we need to work on. And then the conversation that you constantly have with a kid has to incorporate that discussion, you know, and he has to understand the work that goes into it. Um, At the younger levels, it's certainly different middle school, whatnot, but at the high school level in AAU, I think it's tough to build the portfolio. I think it's the hope is that the, the organization has a recruiting guy who is, you know, putting together highlight tapes, sending them out to head of basketball operation guys, assistant coaches throughout the country, utilizing his networking to get, you know, these coaches who, you know, outside of the dead periods to come to their, their games. And again, you know, this, this all 
all this, you know, encompasses everything that's about a good team culture. And, you know, we've been talking here about trying to build it in AAU. And it sounds to me like it's very possible, even though you're only with the kids for a short time, to, to get some of this stuff done. Because I, I think that, you know, when, when you're doing all of these things for the kids, you know, granted, you have a lot more time with, with the high school season being as long as it is. But I, I think, you know, it shows the power of, of how quickly uh, a team culture can be changed or developed, you know, and then have such a positive impact on the players. Yeah, I, I think above all else, you know, Kids return to what makes them feel good and what makes them happy. Parents return to what makes their kids happy, which makes them happy. Um, if there is positive reinforcement, if, if the if the kids, you know, if they go home and they say they don't want to do it anymore, yeah, that's a failure, not on them. That's a failure, you know, whether it's the coach or wherever they're at. If you have to beg your son or daughter to go to practice, that's, that's not their failure, you know? So we want kids to come back and your job is to ensure that the environment they're in, you know, it's positive, it's belief-based, you know, there's trust and you can play, you know, mistake-free, you know, without repercussions. So that culture is so important. And without it, I'm not sure that you can be successful. I, I think it's, there are teams with bad cultures that win. I mean, cause talent will transcend sometimes, but I don't know that teams who win championships have bad culture. I just don't see that. Well, I, uh, it's funny when you say that, you know, talent, uh, like uh, t- honestly, and I don't know, and there are going to be a lot of Cleveland fans that, that probably aren't going to like what I'm about to say, but I always felt that way about the, the team that when LeBron was here, I always felt like the culture wasn't that good, but they won, you know, because of the talent. And then of course, when he was able to form our own super team, you know, we won a championship, but I don't necessarily think that culture was that great. And, and you can agree or disagree with me, but but I'm just try- I'm trying to help prove your point because I think that team won, but I don't think the culture was that great. Yeah, you know, there's the old adage that, you know, you don't have to be best friends off the court, but you need to be teammates and friends on. Um, you know, to a point, I could see that, but I'd rather see the camaraderie, the trust, the friendship uh, instead because I think that'll get you through situations of adversity. And I think if you're individually minded, when things get tough, if you're leaning only on yourself, you feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulder. If you have four other guys who you know you can trust, who who are like-minded, who aren't worried about themselves, don't have an ego, and things get tough, you've got four other guys or girls on the court that you can depend on to pick you up. And I think in the NBA, they're, you know, they're employees, they get paid, and there's a lot of egos but you see when things get difficult in the playoffs and they need to depend on somebody that they didn't depend on during the season, things go bad. And, and I think having the culture, a good culture, will allow kids to pick up other players when things get tough because it's tough. It can be very hard. 
I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, and, and like you said, they can go out there, they can play freely, you know, they have a little fun, they play with confidence and then they can come back to the hotel room and stuff themselves in a hot tub, you know, like, like what more, like what more can you ask for? Really? I mean, that's really what it's all about. And I think all, everything else falls into place. That's what, that's, you know, when, you know, part of the description of this podcast is, you know, if you have that team culture, like, you know, the, the winds will come and everything else falls into place. Denny, is there anything that I didn't ask about that you want to mention? Because we're going to do some fun stuff here in a minute. But anything that, that we didn't talk about yet that you think it's important to bring up? No, I just, uh, I think it's understanding that there is, there's like a cycle of support uh, between mom and dad, the coaches, AU organizations, or, you know, or the admin or high school, you know, that whole thing all works together. And, and I don't know that you could build success or, or culture or sustainable success without everyone in that cycle you know, being part of the team. So I, I think that's important. So one, one of the things that I like to do, we just actually just started doing this a few podcasts ago. And, and you, with the resume that you have and all the places you've been, you are a perfect candidate for our new segment called What's the Coolest? And so, Denny, I want to ask you, what is the coolest place you've ever played a game, coached a game, or watched a game, a basketball game? What's the coolest place? Wow. Um, well, first off, the Dean Dome. North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, I went there, watched a game, um, worked a clinic there. So being on the floor where Michael Jordan played at one time was insane. That was it was the greatest experience. Um, Allen Fieldhouse, Lawrence, Kansas, uh, one of the greatest places to play. They renovated it here about I don't know ten years ago or so, but the original. Uh, field house with Beware of the Fog, Fog Allen. We played there years ago when I played junior college. We played their JV team and being on the floor, you know, where Danny Manning had played and, and knowing that that team won a championship was just, it was something I'll never forget. Man, those, I knew you'd have, a, I knew you'd have at least one good one. Yeah, two good ones. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I mean, Allen Fieldhouse, when that, you can barely see that sign that says Beware of the Fog and it's even on a, in an empty gym, it's still a sense of fog, like hit, like basketball history is just lingering around the the field house, and it's it's really cool. Well, and you know, and just and it goes to speak to like that whole home court advantage and whether or not it's a thing. It's a thing, you know. You know? Oh, uh, absolutely, without question. So one of the other, the one of the other things we we like to do at the end of the podcast is something that I like to call first things last. It's the last thing we do, but it's a list of firsts. And so, Coach English, we're going to play first things last before you get out of here. I'm wondering, what was your, you, I mean, you're, you with the resume this long, and you already you now hold the record for longest intro on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Let's go back in the Wayback Machine, and let's talk about what was your first job? My first job was a uh, grocery bagger at Piggly Wiggly. Piggly Wiggly where? In Merrill, Wisconsin. No kidding. We are uh, very small town. So our grocery store, we had a Red Owl on one end of town, and we had a Piggly Wiggly on my end of town. I was a West Sider, and uh, so we called it the Little Pig. So I was a cashier at the Little Pig. That's awesome. Is Piggly Wiggly still around? I I don't think so. I 
Not at least not in my hometown. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think it is. I'm gonna have to look that up and see. Okay, Coach, how about your first car? My first car was a Renault Alliance. What year? That would have been. Let's see. Eighty-six. I'll tell you what. My wife's first car, a Renault Alliance. Was yours silver? Uh no, mine was uh it was a ugly tan. Oh, I'll tell you what, she loved that car. She still talks about that car to this day. You might be the only other person I know that had an a Renault Alliance. Love that car. Oh, a lot of memories. Uh, that's great. What about your first pet? Do you remember your first pet? Uh first pet was a beagle dog named Lady. Nice. How about first? Okay, this is, I, I always love hearing this one because the answers, I'm telling you, surprise me every time. First record, CD, or cassette that you can remember buying? Okay, the first cassette, the first gift I ever got from a girl was Huey Lewis in the News cassette. The first cassette I ever bought was Beastie Boys License to Ill. You're the second you're the second coach to respond Beastie Boys, but I have to ask you, which one did you like better? Huey Lewis? Huey Lewis in the News four. Did you really? Yep. Not just because the girl gave it to you, right? No. Uh but the Beastie Boys grew on me, so eventually it overtook Huey Lewis in the news. It's crazy. We all had it, you know, we we all had that cassette, that Beastie Boys cassette. Um, Absolutely. How about this? First concert. My first concert was Scorpions and Metallica and a uh, Armed Forces event concert. Were you rocking the, the long hair at that time? I could not grow long hair. I didn't even attempt. <laughs> wow. I, I, I didn't see that coming. I can tell you that much. Let me ask you this one. How about, do you remember the first movie you saw in a movie theater? First movie was E.T. In a movie theater? In a movie theater, yep. It took you that long to get to a movie theater? We have very small town, and we didn't get, uh, you know, we didn't get a lot of movies in there. So it would have been ET in the movie theater. Wow, that's see, that's a good one too. That's why I love doing this. Like the answers always surprise me. This is awesome. Do you remember your first celebrity crush? And don't say ET. <laughs> uh, first celebrity crush. Wow, um, Elizabeth Shue. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a really good one. So, and then how about this? All right, this is now this is present day, okay? What is the first app that you check every morning when you get up, you grab your phone? What's the first app you're going to? <laughs> the first app I open when I look at my phone is Twitter. Yep, you're with me. I, I, I go right there. But I got to tell you, like, I find myself leaning towards Bleacher Report a little more. But uh, I do like Twitter because you kind of get everything all in one shot. I'm with yep. you on that. Coach... I tell you, this has been such an enlightening conversation, and I, you know, and I'm so glad you brought it up to me because I, you know, I, I never really thought about, you know, AAU, and we're, we're you know, AAU is just really, you know, starting, and it's pretty much as soon as the the high school season ends. I mean, that whole gap is pretty much filled with AAU between spring, summer, and now fall. I mean, it just doesn't seem to end until you get back to the high school season. So I, I thought. You know, that this was a very important topic to talk about. And uh, I thought you were, uh, you know, and you didn't prove me wrong. You were a great person to uh, to help enlighten us on this subject. I really appreciate it, Jenny, you coming on. Oh, I appreciate it. I think this is a great thing. And um, hopefully uh, you get 
more guests, better guests than me, and they enlighten more people and more coaches listen. Everybody, I'm telling you, coach, this is the thing, though, you know, and this is why we're here, right? Just, you know, different ideas, different views, you know, I just think you know, I'm learning so much from from everybody. And I hope that the coaches out there and the parents, too, and the players, everybody, everybody can get something from this. And Coach English, I appreciate you spending your time with us today. Anytime. Take care. So. If you guys know a good coach that's out there who's doing great things, winning games, and building great team culture at the same time, I want to hear about him. We may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast. You can reach out to me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1, on Facebook and Instagram, at CourtsidePodcast is where you'll find it, and the email is CourtsidePodcast. If I could say it, Courtside Culture Podcast at Gmail. Remember, build up your players' strengths, find them all a role, and take them all from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.